Out Front with Vince Noble, the weekly podcast that gives emerging leaders and career transitioning individuals the information and inspiration to thrive and become their best. Available wherever you download or listen to your podcasts. There is a new weapon in the fight against COVID-19. The Veloro Company provides NASA-based active pure technology air purifiers that rapidly eliminate 99.9% of airborne SARS-CoV-2 viruses from your immediate environment. This amazing advanced technology filtering system was first developed for use by the NASA Space Shuttle Program. And now to help meet the curable demand of the global pandemic crises, this amazing technology is made available at affordable pricing to the general public for your home or place of business use. For more information, contact USAsia OT and Majestics LLC at 689-222-8900 or 312-200-0109 or email subject information at usasiaonlinetrade at gmail.com. Welcome to this episode of the Outfront Podcast with host Vince Noble, the podcast that gives emerging leaders and career transitioning individuals the information and inspiration to thrive and become their best. For sponsorship and advertisement opportunities, please contact info at nobleresolutions.com. And now, your host, Vince Noble. I want to acknowledge each and every one of you stepping into your authentic power today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Outfront Podcast, the show that gives emerging leaders and career transitioning individuals the information and inspiration to thrive and become their best. I am your host, Vance Noble. Hey, I am super excited today. We have the distinct pleasure of having with us Dr. Don Trahan, Jr., an experienced global diversity practitioner and keynote speaker with the history of working with higher education, nonprofits, and corporates alike to include the U.S. government. As always, before we get started with these extraordinary conversations, I want to say as much as I love how intellectually stimulating they are, they are meant to do far more than pique our intellect. They are meant to drive us into meaningful action. So as you listen, our guests are not solely on this show to promote themselves, their services or products. However, in large part, to provide significant insights and actionable steps to encourage you and engage you, thereby helping to shift you from one level to the next. So I encourage you to listen and think about how you in some way may be positively impacted no matter who you are it is my greatest hope that you find tremendous value in today's episode in this episode dr don discusses the topic of diversity and inclusion and the engagement inside of organizations although many organizations have gotten better at recruiting and retaining diverse talent there is still much progress to be made in this area. Many still lack ethically and gender diverse leadership teams, despite the strong evidence that doing so will increase an organization's overall performance. Dr. Don makes the case that executives need to pay attention to these often neglected marginalized groups and provide concrete ways organizations can create initiatives to change attitudes and perceptions and ultimately create a more diverse and inclusive workplace. We have a lot to unpack in this episode, so let's go. Dr. Don, welcome to the show today. Thank you. I am so honored to be with you today. Hey, it's a pleasure. I'm certainly sure we're going to have a wonderful time together today. 
So, hey, Dr. Don, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, those early childhood influences, and what has led you to the work you so passionately do today? Absolutely. Well, I am a native of Dallas, Texas, and family has always been an instrumental foundation and really what drives me. I have a support system that really has been invested in my success from the beginning. They have been with me. Literally, I, I tell people that my original journey, I went from kindergarten through PhD, and my family, they kept me moving and they kept me thriving. And when I had challenges that would come up along the way, they were there to pray with me and just really always were my foundation. Mm -hmm. And so that, that really, when I think about my childhood, I think about all of the the ups, the downs, the experiences that I had, but they have always been there with me even to this day. While I live in Washington, D.C., I still have that same foundation and commitment from my family to know that whatever it is that I set my mind out to do, they're going to support me. They're going to tell me when I'm wrong. They're going to tell me when I need to keep going. So that's so so critical for my success is having that core foundation. And one thing I, I think is interesting, now that I am away from home, you start to appreciate just how much of that foundation is needed in order to keep going. So what I do now, anytime I have a major event coming up in my life, I will always call home and we will pray together. We will process together and any major decisions I'm, I'm able, even though I'm not physically there, I'm able to still rely upon that core foundation that has gotten me to this point. So that that really is what has allowed me in terms of childhood moving forward. I have a, a core group of friends that I've kept in my circle for years. And, you know, one thing that I think is so important is that you don't have a, a lot of yes people. And I do not have a lot of yes people. I have a core group of friends that will tell me the truth that want to see me win and that are really, really truly invested in my success as I am genuinely invested in their success and we thrive together. So that's something even as a young adult moving into where I am now, I've had that same core group or individuals that have come along the way that I make sure we have a shared understanding of our invested commitment together. And that's really critical and really instrumental to my success as well. Yeah, I think that's so wonderful, you know, as we uh, navigate sometimes the uh, complexities of life, uh, it, it's so important to have, you know, a circle of, of, of people that, uh, you know, we can count on. But not only that, um, that will also hold us accountable to doing the things that we say we're going to do. And that's so important. So, uh, Dr. Don, I, I have to ask, how are you doing, doing what I call this mental marathon, you know, spiritually, you know, emotionally, psychologically? What do you find most challenging? And specifically, how are you dealing with it? You know, I will be very honest. It has truly been a challenge. By trade, I am a licensed clinician. And so I, I have a foundation where I know what I would tell other individuals on how to maintain self-care and address their mental health. Right. Yet, when I think about my own experience, the truth of the matter is it has been extremely draining. There are plenty of times where I just have had to really push myself and re-encourage myself to go. Now, I do like the flexibility that has come along with being able to operate in a virtual environment. However, I miss those opportunities of being able to engage and, and really travel the way that I used to prior to the pandemic, I was literally back and forth in different cities and different countries on a consistent basis. And I've had to move all of that online now in various platforms, but you miss that interaction and, and right. life has changed. So while I am doing fine and I've been able to still thrive and move forward, most recently I successfully completed my dissertation for my second doctorate. So I was able to still thrive in spite of, but I, I have to be honest, it's, it's been draining. There have been plenty of times where I have really, really, really had to regroup in order to keep myself going. And I know there are so many others that are out there that have had elevated levels 
of anxiety, elevated levels of depression, uh, just the inability to be able to see something beyond where we are. And everyone, I want to encourage you as you listen to this, no matter what the situation may be, it is paramount that you find and create the ability to take care of yourself, whatever that is. For me, my escape is music. I use music to really regroup and reground myself no matter what the circumstances are. So I'm going to encourage those of you who are listening. I don't know what it is for you, but it is really critical that you find ways in which to encourage your own well-being and find things that can keep you grounded. These jobs, they're going to go on regardless, but you won't. And I mean that genuinely. So it's critical that whatever it is you need to do, if you need to just stop, regroup, if you feel yourself not or having thoughts and not feeling the way in which you felt in the past, you, you got to pay attention to that. So I do. I want to encourage those who are listening, whatever it is, don't allow yourself to fail or allow yourself to give everything you can where you find yourself left without for your own well-being. I really genuinely mean that it's so easy to do that in a pandemic and it's so easy for it to show up in forms of your physical health and you not realize the interconnection to your mental health. So I really do want to encourage the listeners to take that seriously. It is not a joke. Even though we have the vaccines that have emerged, we're still going to be dealing with this. And that's something that I know globally individuals are, are faced with a level of uncertainty. So I, I'm strongly encouraging those listening to pay attention. I know if, if I have had those experiences and days where I just have had to almost pull myself up to keep going, and I know others are experiencing that as well. So that is my, my hope and what I'd like to challenge the listeners to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So, hey, Dr. Don, let's just get right down to it. You know, I, I have to admit, you know, I'm a bit concerned with sort of where we are in America. And, and it seems as though, you know, we have lost all of our ability to get into a space, if you will, and begin to open up and engage one another respectfully enough um, to actually have a reasonable conversation and disagreement you know, without verbal and physical attacks in some instances. And so, you know, you're privileged to, to get uh, inside of organizations and engage organizational leaders uh, on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion amidst one of the most politically polarizing times in my lifetime. How difficult has it become to engage uh, this needed conversation with organizations? You know, that's a, a wonderful question. It is extremely difficult on their end. Mm -hmm. My end is rather easy. And the reason is I have no problem being very transparent and critical about what's needed. I think so often organizations, we, we bought into this idea of diversity and inclusion because it's something that looks good. It's great PR. If we're not committed to actually paying attention to the deficits that exist in our organizations or the marginalized communities going beyond race, because it's not only a racial issue that has to be addressed. If we're not prepared to have the really in-depth dialogue where we can not only acknowledge our discomfort, but sit in that discomfort mm. and really have candid, open dialogue about the historical problems and existing problems within the organization and the broader global environment. And, and this is something that I have shared with leaders all over the world don't live in siloed or in isolation from what's happening in the real world. And as a result, people are going to bring that into the work environment, regardless if you want them to or not. So it's not, a, it's not appropriate to say, well, leave that out. That doesn't exist in here because it does. And I'll give you an example. Most recently in the United States, we went through what I would define a tumultuous experience politically. And for things that some people had never seen before, I, I remember on so many different occasions, people saying, well, we've never seen this, we've never seen this. And I found myself saying, while it may not have existed in the format that we're seeing, we've been here before. Mm -hmm. It's so important to acknowledge the history of the United States. 
And one thing I always like to process that some people are uncomfortable with, but it is necessary because I do not believe in being politically correct. We have to have open, candid dialogue. The United States is stolen. It's stolen. And I attended school at the University of New Mexico where I obtained my Ph.D., and had the honor of interfacing with so many different indigenous tribes of this land. And I can share with you the experience that so many of them are still having today is a result of intergenerational trauma and the fact of the matter that they have been not only murdered or massacred, but they are still experiencing trauma on their own land. That's an experience that if you have never had to face it or own it or, or be confronted with it, you may not think about it. But because I had the honor of living in Albuquerque, New Mexico for almost four years, I was directly confronted with and had the opportunity to engage so many of our native tribes. That experience is something that we have to sit in. Enslaved Africans were in fact brought to this country and enslaved for over 400 years. I would argue that as we look at systemic racism, in many cases, individuals are still being stifled today. And, you know, I have to remind myself often, I've been able to navigate successfully because of my education and the platform that I've developed for myself. But I am not by any means naive to the fact that there are so many people who look like me who will never have access to the opportunities that I have. Organizations must recognize and own that if they are truly committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity, when I think about that, we're talking about a broad scope of perspectives, which it can literally be any single thing that's an impediment in your organization. When we think about inclusion, it is the state or act of being included. So you have to look around and really acknowledge who's not here. Mm -hmm. They are here. Do they actually have a voice and the ability to drive change? Because if not, it gets back to what I mentioned, it's great PR. And we will never see change if that's the mentality that's adopted. And that's not limited to the United States. That is all over the world. And what I think is most critical and where I typically start with organizations is equity. What is it going to take to meet people where they are to give them what they individually need to thrive? And so oftentimes what I've seen organizations do in an attempt to address diversity and inclusion, it's a mindset of, well, let's just hire more black people and let's just hire more whatever uh, racial or ethnic group. The problem with that is if you're hiring individuals, but you're not positioning them accordingly throughout the organization to have a true voice to impact and drive change, all you have done is put butts in seats to good from a numerical perspective but potentially have no ability to drive sustainable change. You must look at every individual within the organization as a contributor to your organizational climate and culture to drive change. So many leaders, they have not bought into understanding the nuances and really the complexity that goes along with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if the focus is only on talent acquisition, then you've missed the opportunity to acknowledge the broader organizational culture, trends, values, and perspectives that thrive within the organization. And as a result, it is more likely than not that while you may have a desire to drive change, you are going to operate in what I call surface-level action items that will not lead to sustainable change. That is the challenge that I have seen globally and overwhelmingly in the United States. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, hey, Dr. Dodd, to that point, uh, you know, I always say that you can you can have, uh, to your point, the presence of diversity without real inclusion. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like asking the date to the prom and don't ask to dance. You know, you, you ask right. everyone else to dance, but don't ask your date to dance. Um, but again, to your point, um, diversity and equity and inclusion is such a broad topic. Uh, with, with so much to unpack there, where is a, a, a place to start? Where do you think, from a leader perspective, leaders can honestly start to bring this into their organizations to create a more truly inclusive space? And, and as I would say, um, you know, where do you start again as a leader? Because it, it can be overwhelming. 
you know, oh, we need to change this or we need to do that. Where do you even begin to feel like I could chip away and create this inclusive space, if you will, where the culture is truly aligning to a real policy and not just window dressing, as you would say, or even a check the block type of stuff? So I think one of the first things that's really critical is that you take the time to truly listen to your staff, understand what is the existing climate within the organization. That's going to give you your foundation or your baseline of where you are. After you have understood exactly where you are, it gives you the ability to recognize your shortcomings or opportunities for growth. But you need to have some type of baseline or foundation. The other thing that I think is really critical is that you think about DE&I or diversity, equity, and inclusion as a part of your central strategy or organizational priorities. That way, it is something that's going to not only get the attention that's desired, but it will position you to be able to recognize what type of accountability, what type of infrastructure is needed, what type of incentives are going to be desired to engage and really empower your staff, and what type of resources will be needed to carry it out. I like the SMART goal framework that's been developed because it allows you to be very specific and it creates accountability within a certain time frame to carry out change. But you need to have an understanding of where are we and what are those opportunities for growth. One thing that I've seen a lot of organizations do, and it's part of the reason that they fail, is that they try to do every single thing at one time. Hmm. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, like every other area within an organization, is not something where you can just throw everything in and hope for the best. You have to be strategic. You need to use what I developed, a priority-based model for implementation, And you need to have very clearly defined metrics to measure is where are we going? Is this actually advancing? If it's not, what's not allowing it to to advance? Or where do we need to perhaps restart? So that's where it is truly a business framework that's adopted when you're doing this. And strategic diversity leadership is going to allow leadership as well as any individual within the organization to recognize what their particular role will be and what's going to be the desired outcome. That's why I always recommend connect it to your organizational priorities and goals. Why do we exist? What's our market that we're trying to work within? We know that for, for years and years and years now that the more diverse your staff is, the more likely you're able to reach diverse consumers and have better outcomes and performance, but what does that mean for our unique organization? How can we cultivate the talent that we already have while recognizing talent that's not here that may be an impediment to our marketplace or our ability to to work within a global environment? So I think all of that, you, you get to that point once you really take the time to recognize what's our baseline. And upon rec- reflecting on that baseline with your existing staff, It's an opportunity to reflect upon, yet again, what is our purpose in the larger, broader market? And every organization, even if you share a similar market, you're going to have a unique approach or a different way in which you are navigating. And I think it's so critical to evaluate what that unique space is for you as an organization to then, as leaders in particular, recognize what will be required to get to that point. And DE&I, or once again, diversity equity and inclusion at that point becomes another critical component of the organizational's commitment to then drive that type of recognition and change in your respective market. But you need to know your baseline first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dr. Don, what do you say you know, to that person that might be saying, hey, I, I'm uncomfortable you know, talking about race in the workplace. You know, h- How and where do I start, especially when you you know, may be considered that white person that says, uh, I know that I am perceived as being the person of privilege in the workplace. You know, how do you even initiate that conversation 
Um, how do you show people, if you're that person, that I am, in fact, truly an inclusive leader? That's a great question. So one of the things, recognizing or having self-awareness of privilege is critical. And it's not limited to race, but being able to truly identify, yeah, this is something that I know I present with that affords me a level of privilege in this environment. You must recognize that. And if you don't want to address race, we don't have the luxury in this nation to ignore race because of the historical context that we have encountered in the United States in particular. Race has and will always be a factor that is going to create division. So to say that you are uncomfortable to discuss it is to say that you are uncomfortable recognizing the, the differences that may directly drive division within your organization. And that gets back to the point that I made, regardless of if we wanna say things are happening outside the scope of the workplace, it does not. Our Asian American community right now across this country are in a state of crisis. So to say that, well, I don't wanna talk about what's happening with Asian Americans or address that because it makes me uncomfortable is to say, I don't want to see or recognize how you feel, how you show up, what you may be mentally going through, what may be inhibiting your ability to work because you are in a state of crisis. That then means I'm excluding you and your voice in the workplace. So I do think self-awareness is critical. I also think it's vital that we collectively, as members of an organization, recognize why individuals who are white or have other forms of privilege may be uncomfortable talking about it. It's, it's not enough to say, well, they need to just get on board. It's a matter of meeting them where they are as well to create a true inclusive environment to listen to understand why there may be unreadiness. Perhaps they have never had an opportunity to talk about it. Perhaps they grew up in an environment where they never had to confront it. So I think sometimes we jump to conclusions that, well, white people, they are privileged, and so they don't do X, Y, and Z. In some cases, I have realized over the years, it is truly a form of ignorance because they don't know in some cases. Yet again, that is not limited to race. But I think that we have to be aware of that in the context of truly creating an inclusive organizational environment because that is going to allow for some space to listen to that resistance. Mm -hmm. Same time, there is a responsibility of everyone. If we bought in to saying that we're committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, then we do not have the luxury to pick and choose what we will and will not discuss. We're going to go there. Those broad scope of perspectives that I mentioned earlier have to be taken into consideration. And then and only then will you start to be able to recognize what is necessary to drive sustainable change. And let, let me put it to you in this way. If we are looking at how to optimize our place in the market, I mentioned this in the previous question, your staff are the individuals who are going to drive that. If they don't feel that they are respected and supported in the workplace, it's almost guaranteed that their work performance will be impacted. So that then it, it will direct the direction that you're Bottom line is going to be able to go. It's going to have an impact on your ability to thrive and have a competitive advantage in your respective market. And over time, what it's going to do is create silos or a, silos or a climate within your organization where you are at risk of losing your staff because they no longer feel valued in the workplace. So you do not have the luxury to decide that you're going to ignore it. And if you do, it's almost guaranteed that you will see staff leave and or your productivity, organizational goals and performance will suffer as a result. So leaders or anybody in the organization that is resistant to truly being uncomfortable must understand if we're going to get on this diversity, equity and inclusion journey, DE&I is an asset and a intentional disruption simultaneously. So there will be levels of uncomfort. But that's also where when you're deciding to do this work, you have a recognition that it's going to be a part of the process. Difficult dialogue 
difficult changes are going to be a part of the process. And I think that's something I would be remiss if I did not mention it. Something that leaders or managers or supervisors, regardless of what you're classified in the organization, need to take time to understand is that people don't always fear change. It's not necessarily change that people fear because we will evolve no matter what. That's a part of just existing in this nation or really in this world today. It's part of our existence. Oftentimes, people fear is loss. And out of concern of what they're going to lose or what they have become accustomed to doing, that's where you run into the problem. And I think that if we took time to intentionally really listen to understand where that fear of loss may be coming from, that will then allow everyone to have a better understanding of what's needed to create and cultivate an inclusive environment. But I'll say again, we do not have the luxury to pick and choose what we will address and what we will not address. It is the responsibility of every individual that is a part of an organization to take part in creating change within the culture. But you recognize you do not have the luxury to pick and choose what you will and will not discuss. So, so what would you say uh, from your perspective um, as a leader, how can I create access and opportunity for the underrepresented groups in my organization when I may not necessarily have the great title or position to have influence? So what can I do as an individual team member? So this, this is a great question. This is where leaders need to recognize where you lack diversity. That's part of the beginning of, of recognizing that. If And I've, I've heard so many organizations here recently make claims, well, I can't find qualified X, Y, and Z populations. Right. Overwhelmingly, the reason for that, and, and this is where I believe we just have to be transparent. More often than not, when leaders are looking for other leaders, they work within their own circle of influence. And overwhelmingly, people typically interact with people that are similar to their own background. Now, that's not a bad thing. It just means that we have to recognize that that means we are more likely than not to have people who think the same way, people who have the same educational background, people who have the same racial and ethnic makeup, people who have the same business style, which means that you lack diversity. Even you are trying to, and this happens so often, window dress and bring in a new person of color or biopoc population, black, indigenous, people of color, you still may be running the risk of not having diversity if you're working within the same circle of influence. You intentionally commit to going out, finding diverse talent, seeking different educational experiences, seeking someone who will add something different to the organization, not just finding the replacement that's going to show up and basically be the new whoever the person was because you want that same line of thinking. There will never be diversity. That's where you have to start. For a person who does not have a title in an organization such as a vice president, senior vice president, executive vice president, especially in organizations that are hierarchy driven, this is where you must recognize and really hold the leadership accountable. If you're on this journey and organizations have made a commitment to create a more diverse and inclusive organizational culture, then that means your voice is valued. That means that you, whatever it is that you need to contribute or that you are recognizing, you have every right to bring that, that awareness and attention to leadership. You have to hold them accountable. A lot of people, what I've learned is that they fear retaliation or fear that their voice does not matter, which is where you get climates that are siloed, which over time runs the risk of leading to high turnover. But I believe that when organizations are truly committed, we, we need to hold each other accountable. This is where someone who who's in a position like that needs to go to their supervisor, let them know you're, you're, you're calling them in, not calling them out. You're calling them in to recognize we've made a commitment and yet I'm still seeing this. I'd like to be a part of the solution. Can we work together? I also think that individuals, though, when that happens, you have to recognize 
when you need to take a step back because that can be draining over time if you are constantly the same person who's having to constantly go back and bring attention to problems that persist in the organization. But I believe that it's necessary to really clearly realize if we're committed to this, then this is what comes along with it. This is what we need to work towards. And this is what I'm going to say because I want to hold leadership accountable as well. I've said this already. It is the responsibility of every member of the organization to change the culture. So when we're recognizing that there are, we're not adhering to that. We need to call people in and work together to change. And, and I think over time, what that will do is at least create an awareness for leadership. Because oftentimes it's, it's so easy as a leader to get removed from the day-to-day real operations that happen within an organization. Sometimes leaders don't even realize what's happening. Other times they are going to continue are doing business as usual until somebody calls them in about the patterns of behavior that are persisting. So I I say to those who are like, well, yeah, but I've seen them do this. I've seen them do that. And I know if I step up, this is going to happen. That mindset will also reinforce the same culture that is problematic. We, We must call people in. We must hold leadership accountable and we must collectively work together to drive change. And that gets back to why it's necessary to be able to have difficult dialogue. When we're seeing something that's that's problematic, we need to be able to, to truly hold them accountable. I would be naive to think that some leaders are very resistant to that and some will retaliate. Mm-hmm. I also think that that creates an opportunity for members to, to reevaluate, or members of the organization to reevaluate if that's the right organization for them. Because over time, it is extremely unhealthy and mentally draining if you're working within an environment that is constantly, constantly draining you or constantly leaving you depleted. I know for me, and obviously I know I'm a very unique individual in regards to my background, but I have had to separate myself in the past from situations like that because I realize I'm not going to allow myself to work in an environment where I am constantly leaving, feeling depleted or feeling as though work is, is literally that. It's work instead of something that I enjoy. And so it has me to, to reevaluate what I desire within organizations that I'm affiliated with. And so I, I would encourage individuals as well, if you are in that type of situation and there is resistance for you being able to use your voice and hold individuals accountable, then it may be an opportunity to reevaluate if this is the right organization. I I don't want that to happen, and I would hate for individuals to have to leave an organization, but I also recognize that work does not have to be something that is is fault or something that is leaving you in a a state of being mentally drained. It can be exciting. It can be something that you are looking forward to. It can be collaborative, and it can be inclusive. But there has to be accountability to cultivate that type of environment. So I, I would hold anyone responsible for that as well to evaluate, you know, is this the right opportunity for me? Or do I need to perhaps go back and reevaluate? Mm-hmm. So, so when looking at a systemic uh, approach, you know, involving more than a single person, department, organization, how have you found, you know, the implementation of, you know, person-first language, trauma-informed approaches, and bias training most successful, uh, successful and sustainable? Uh, but more importantly, when individuals recognize a problem, um, you know, what are, what are some of the methods of motivating them to actually do something about it over time? So I believe that what's extremely critical, once you've learned person-first language, understanding trauma or trauma-informed care within the workplace environment, understanding mental health, understanding different people who are different, able, and and, and experiences, you need to connect it to real-world experiences within the workplace. Sometimes what I've noticed is that you have these trainings, and it's superficial, and it's a disconnect 
from the day-to-day -day operations or the real-world experiences that are happening within an organization. So in order to actually drive real change, there needs to be a connection to applying it to the actual work environment. And when you do that, it then allows you to reevaluate, you know, how can we apply this in this situation? We, how can we, when we're doing evaluations or when we're having staff meetings or when we're collaborating, how can we put that into action how, in this environment? So that's where I've seen it be most successful when individuals actually apply it to their day-to-day -day operations, where I've seen it fail very quickly. And unfortunately, organizations are spending approximately $300 billion on diversity trainings and it's really a waste of money, being very honest, if you are not going to implement the training into your day-to-day -day operations. So one of the most popular is unconscious bias training. And, and while that's necessary, because it does allow you to have a certain level of awareness, if you're not applying it to your day-to-day -day operations, or if it's removed from your day-to-day -day operations, you're going to go right back to business as normal. So this is usual. So it's so critical that you create space once you've learned it to be very intentional about introducing these new skills into the workplace. And if you don't do that, then what you're more likely than not going to experience is the same old, same old, or what I, I've shared in so many different cases that I, I encourage everyone to eliminate this from their vocabulary, but we've always done it this way. That's the problem. That is the problem. So we, we must, after we've gone through these trainings, we cannot just use that as an ability to check the box. We must very intentionally infuse it or implement it into the organization. And that goes back to what I mentioned earlier. There needs to be a priority-based approach with what that looks like. What's going to be the most critical? How does this connect to our organizational goals or our bottom line? And, and really reevaluate it in that way so that you can apply it to the day-to-day -day operations and individual roles and responsibilities of every member of the organization. When that takes place, you are more likely to see sustainable change. If you do not do it in that way, I'm almost willing to say I guarantee you're going to see the same behavior that you've always seen. Right, absolutely. You know, so Dr. Don, I'm huge on, you know, there's a time and place for everything. So is there even a good or bad time or safe space, if you will, to try uh, to converse about the organizational climate as it relates to, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion concerns? So I, I think that's a wonderful question. What, what you have to do is evaluate what are the existing systems or ways of communication that we're using within the organization. So some organizations, they may not convene in a way that would allow for there to be actual candid dialogue about what is taking place. That may be an opportunity for growth to recognize we need a different platform where we can really come together as an organization at large and have dialogue. And it's not enough to do it once. It has to be an ongoing opportunity to truly engage about where you are as an organization. I think in terms of timing, there is, there's never necessarily the right time, if you will, but I do think what I've seen overwhelmingly, and in all honesty, something that concerns me, is that a lot of organizations will uh, adopt this mindset after they've had some type of crisis or public a recognition of behavior that has been inappropriate or a very public lawsuit that comes to pass that then sparks an interest in hiring a chief diversity officer or senior diversity officer in the organization or sparks the interest to have an organizational climate assessment or sparks the interest to have some type of diversity training. That to me is a very reactionary response and it is typically a problematic in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think if organizations proactively recognize that we need to evaluate where are we, the same way you would 
with any other priority in your organization, same way you would assess performance in your organization, the same way you would assess your financial stability and or income if you are a organization that is for profit in some regard, you have to use diversity in that same way to look at how are we measuring this? Where are we if you're using some type of scorecard? Where are we in, in this process? So I don't think that there's necessarily uh, the right time. It, it needs to just be something that is taken into consideration as a priority because we recognize how it contributes to the bottom line that I mentioned earlier. But once again, I, I think where organizations really position themselves to run the risk of going back to or bringing someone in when they've not truly done the work is doing it in a reactionary way following some type of crisis. That overwhelmingly, I'll give you a very a specific example. Following the murder of George Floyd, we saw overwhelmingly chief diversity officer roles or diversity and inclusion positions pop up in organizations, especially corporately, all over the United States. And while I look at that as it's it's good that organizations are recognizing that they do not have an individual in place that can help to drive this in co combination or a collaboration with other members of the organization, it also is something that it, it makes me question, well, what's already in place to ensure that this role is successful? And if you've not done that foundational work to assess your baseline, then what happens is you get a chief diversity officer in the organization, the organization has its climate and culture that have, has existed for X number of years, then you're putting all the problems on that person instead of recognizing the intentional commitment that it will require in collaboration to drive sustainable change, that person, more likely than not, is not going to stay because the organization is not ready. And, and what we've seen overwhelmingly is approximately 55% of chief diversity officers will resign within three to five years of assuming their particular role. Part of the reason for that is exactly what I'm talking about, is that organizations have done this only in a reactionary way. They've not done the, the, the or committed the time that is necessary to evaluate where are we going to go? What do we need? How will this person flourish? What resources, what infrastructure are we going to give them in order to make this a priority within the organization? It's we need to do something so that we don't look like we're not committed to this. Let's bring in the person who's going to be the person that we can put out. And almost it, literally, there are, are so many different articles that have been written here in the recent years that talk about they're just used as scapegoats. They're used as great PR uh, measures to say, oh, we have this person, these press releases go out, and then we're able to recognize, look, 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 we, we are committed when organizations really are not. So I don't think that there's necessarily a right time. I think that it's, it's recognizing we need to start somewhere. But if, if it's following a crisis, I think that, that that increases the likelihood for that role or the division or whatever type of infrastructure will be created uh, to run the risk of failing. So organizations don't have to wait for something to happen. It is recognizing that you need someone, a thought leader, who understands diversity, equity, and inclusion as a business strategy and can drive that to enhance your bottom line. Not we need someone to come in who's going to help us uh, make us look good with our uh, perhaps our racial climate or our racist climate or behavioral patterns that have persisted within the organization so that we don't get bad press. That mindset is, is part of the reason that we have seen the high turnover and it's part of the reason that organizations or members of organizations lose trust over time because they recognize there is no true commitment to this space. It's, it's literally uh, a way in which to not have bad press in many instances. And it really does set the person up or individuals that work in that respective area to fail. So I'll say again, because I really want to stress that there is 
not necessarily the right time, but you need to start somewhere to get this going. And, and, and avoiding waiting for a crisis to happen is what I would challenge any leader to do, uh, while also recognizing that, you know, it's, it's going to be a journey. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to recognize and peel back the onion uh, for things that you've done that may not be so pretty, uh, that may be extremely uncomfortable, that may make people uncomfortable, but that's all a part of the disruption and asset that I mentioned earlier. Absolutely. So, Dr. Don, one of the things I want to get back to is that you, you mentioned that, you know, one of the things from an organizational leader perspective is asking the question, you know, how are we measuring this? And so I always feel like whatever we're doing from a, a specifically from an organizational perspective, there has to be a method to measure our effectiveness or measure the success that we're seeking. So from your perspective, how do we truly measure the effectiveness of diversity, inclusion, and equity from an organizational perspective or policy perspective, if you will? Are there some tips and ways in which to do that? Absolutely. So one, recognizing that it's going to require intentional quantitative and qualitative metrics in order to measure change. There will be some things that you can understand, such as implementation of policies, the number of policies, if you will, such as the number of trainings that you've had, such as the number of new hires. But those are all quantitative measures that will at least show you numerically where you are moving the needle. You also, to really understand the culture change, though, you have to have qualitative assessments that are intentionally assessing the, the scope and perspective of the staff. What is the climate of the organization? How do staff feel? What are opportunities? So having very intentional focus groups, having the opportunity to have open-ended questionnaires responded to, having the opportunity, and I typically recommend if you're going to use a metric that is perhaps a corporate scorecard or something of that nature, you need to have defined benchmarks or periods of time that you've already outlined so that you know when the engagement's going to take place, you know how it's going to fit into the larger scope of your strategic plan, and you know that you're going to have these set periods of time where you're going to assess where you are. So that's something that I think organizations really need to reevaluate. If your DEI approach does not align with the organizational strategic plan, that's one of the things that I want to encourage organizations to address first. You do not want some separate entity operating that is not prioritized in the same way uh, that that which has been identified for the organization is connected. You need that intentionally connected and really interwoven within that plan. From there, it allows you to have, I, I, I really say work backwards so that you can have those targeted benchmarks that you know, once again, here's when we're going to do it. It really creates accountability, if you will, to make sure that we're going to intentionally Look at the number of new hires. Look at the number of new policies that have been implemented. Really measure what has changed as a result of the implementation. Really create opportunities for staff through the form of a diversity council or employment or employee advisory committee or something of that nature to provide insight on how the policy has been impacted or how it is impacting the way in which work is done within the organization and really having those set benchmarks or periods of time that you can measure that. When you do it in that way, it, it, it's, it's, it's similar to, you've heard the phrase more likely than not, put your money where your mouth is. Well, in the same way, prioritize DE&I in the same right. way that you do other elements. And if you do that, you know we're doing it at this time. We're going to put these individuals on it. This is how we're going to carry it out. This is how we're going to use the information that is how you start to measure change within your organization. So, so Dr. Uh, Don, at the end of the day, how do you specific, specifically um, support institutions as well as those that are underserved, you know, those of varying audiences? 
uh, with varying needs. Um, however, where do you find the balance? I think that you, you really, it, it goes back to what I mentioned about listening to understand the pulse or the climate of your organization. It is so critical that you understand, one, what are the marginalized populations within the organization? Because some organizations, they really do a nice job of having true racial diversity embedded throughout the organization. And that's great. However, if, if those individuals, even if they're in leadership positions, do not have a voice and the access to drive sustainable change, that is an opportunity for growth within the organization. So you, you have to listen to where are we? What's our climate? Sometimes it's not even a matter of racial or ethnic or even gender uh, challenges or sexual identity challenges. It could be a particular division within your organization that's being excluded, perhaps unintentionally, but being excluded from the decision-making, being excluded or, or lacking a recognition of how this division could intentionally contribute to your overall bottom line or your overall ability to thrive in your market, but you may not, may not be utilizing them in that way. And so I, I think it's really taking time to evaluate your overarching perspective and structure or, or the system that exists and really looking at how do we interconnectedly work together. That's part of why I mentioned if you're using some type of scorecard and each division is using the same kind of way in which to measure how you are adhering to the organizational strategic plan that has been outlined, it gives you an opportunity as a leader to evaluate, here's an opportunity for us to see, can we collaborate in a different way? Uh, can, can we find something that maybe we hadn't thought about, but what if we tried this? I think we don't do that enough or we get so siloed in well, this division does this, this division does that, and there is not an intentional way to collaborate or evaluate what would allow us to advance our outcomes if we assess it in that way. So that could be a different form of recognizing marginalized populations or those that are excluded by simply reevaluating uh, your makeup and the systems that it exists. Uh, I, I kid you not, o o over time I've seen divisions such as public relations not working with uh, HR, for example. And it's like, why wouldn't you work together? That's a way in which you can find a, a, a very intentional way to attract diverse talent. If you were working together to assess how are we marketing, what make up of our materials. But a lot of times people look at those as, well, those are distinct areas. They do this, they do that. We have to look beyond what has traditionally been done, or, or as I mentioned earlier, we've always done it this way. We really need to eliminate that mindset and truly look at how can we collaborate? What are those opportunities for growth? What are those non-traditional engagements that would allow us to perhaps take a different approach? And in doing so, I guarantee it's going to elicit a level of excitement of staff that could really enhance your overall bottom line because now they're getting to collaborate and now their, their voices are being valued and respected and used to support change within the organization. That's how you rise up and allow those populations that have been marginalized to potentially help contribute to change in the organization. The other part of that is also recognizing, as I mentioned very intentionally, if there are deficits that exist, such as race, gender, uh, sexual identity, or any other element of diversity that has been excluded, it allows you to really intentionally pay attention to finding ways to change that. Some organizations have opted to have affinity groups. Some organizations have opted to have employee resource groups. I, I typically prefer an employee resource group because that allows you to intentionally position employees to contribute to overall strategy and or areas for growth within the organization to contribute to that sustainable change that I've now mentioned several times. It empowers them 
to also recognize that we we recognize that we need you to help us make changes. And that, once again, it, it increases the likelihood that staff will be engaged. They're going to be excited. They're going to have incentives to be able to contribute to change. And, and most importantly, it in, increases the likelihood that you will not have a turnover problem. But that's how you empower your staff. It also is how you bring in new staff because organizations or individuals who may be seeking employment will recognize, wow, this organization really has put their, their money where their mouth is. This organization has very intentionally committed to creating a work-life balance that I want, I want to thrive there. I want to be a part of that. That's what's missing. So I believe that uh, if, if intention is placed in that way, your marginalized communities are going to be empowered across the board, and you're going to increase the likelihood of having sustainable change. So, so from your perspective, where do you see the biggest diversity gap and how can we close it? I think one of the, the largest issues that continue to plague organizations is a lack of recognition of what are we doing or what is our specific business case for why diversity, equity, and inclusion is going to be adopted within the organization. You, you need to start there because that then allows you to recognize how diverse talent can be intentionally sought. And one thing I think when we think about a global environment, it is not limited to the United States. We need to look at ways in which to really encourage and increase very intentional diverse talent to drive sustainable change. But one thing that I think organizations are really plagued with is they lack the understanding of their specific business case, which then impacts their ability to have a very intentional strategic diversity leadership approach to then connect to the organizational uh, goals and or plan that has been outlined to collaborate in a very intentional way. That is what I have recognized is truly something that organizations are plagued with and we get into this, this space of, well, racial equity, racial equity, that has become the new hot topic, but it's more than just understanding having racially diverse people. It's what's our bottom line? Where are we in the marketplace? What is the potential for us to really enhance how we make money, save money, and optimize our organizational goals? That is something that I, I think we are going to have to continue to very intentionally pay attention to so that if the decision is made to bring on a senior diversity officer and a division or, or whatever format that will take place, it allows you to define very clearly how you're going to prioritize your approach to connect to how you make money, how you save money, how you optimize your organizational goals. That is the gap that I think really needs to be closed and it is part of the reason why we're still seeing, while organizations may do a beautiful job of diversifying their staff, their business practices, policies, and procedures do not align with that same diverse staff. So then you have high turnover, or you have, as I've mentioned before now, a climate where individuals feel neglected or excluded or that their voices do not are not valued, which then means you do not have an inclusive organizational culture. That is the gap. So I, I, my challenge to leaders that are going to listen to this and other diversity practitioners, when you get into organizations, uh, to not fall into the, the pattern of let's do some training, let's do what I call uh, some celebratory events that will not sustain the business strategy. Mm. Business strategy is where the gap is. And, and really having a clearly defined uh, business tactics, understanding of the scope and the market, and the ability to connect that with the organizational strategic plan in a very intentional way, as well as I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, having executive commitment and sponsorship as a part of your diversity strategy, that is something else that is missing. Leaders, in, in so many instances, they bring on the chief diversity officer or diversity division, and then they wash their hands of it. You can't do that. You have to intentionally be engaged and intentionally understand 
that you too contribute to the organizational culture and climate. And, and you too must recognize that you and your, your level of privilege are going to be very biased with what you understand. That is one of, it's another major gap. But I, I really think that connects back to just having a, a sound foundation of your business case and how that connects to very clear tactics and how that connects to your organizational goal and ability to thrive in your respective markets. That is the gap. I, I think it's the overwhelming gap. Uh, a lot of organizations, I've mentioned this already, but I just want to reiterate, they are reactionary following some crisis. And they've not really thought through the process of what diversity, equity, and inclusion means to their business operations. And as a result, it's, it's a revolving door or a disconnect with how DE&I or diversity, equity, and inclusion can be used in a very strategic way. That's where attention needs to be paid. And that is where, from a priority-based approach, a change will occur if you focus on it in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. So listen, Dr. Don, before we go, how can people connect with you either online or through social media with some of the things you're doing? Absolutely. I, I love for individuals to connect with me on I, my website is www.drdontrahanjr.com. Uh, that's always a way to connect with me. I have a section on my website that is called Ask Dr. Don. So at any given moment, if people have questions or just something that they like insight on. I really do read those. So I encourage people to reach out to me through my website. I am also on LinkedIn as Don Trahan Jr. PhD. Uh, so I welcome people the opportunity to connect with me uh, through LinkedIn as well. I, I constantly write and put things out to challenge ways of thinking. I put things out to really elevate the way in which we understand diversity, inclusion, and equity very intentionally in the workplace culture. So th those are, so I do that on a weekly basis. So that's another way in which to connect with me. And uh, as I shared a moment ago, that section on my website, I really encourage people, if there's a question that you have, you know, go there, write it, and, and let's connect. Because I, I, I look at what I can offer as a, a way in which we can really strategize together on making sure you have clarity on your bottom line and ability to thrive in this space. But those are ways in which I would encourage people to connect with me. Awesome, awesome. So listen, Dr. Don Trahan Jr., listen, uh, we really bring individuals to this show that that, that really represent the, the value in which we're trying to deliver. And so you, my friend, is certainly uh, what this show is all about. And thank you once again for joining us today. And it has certainly been a pleasure. And please come back and join us soon. I would love that. And thank you again. I really appreciate the opportunity for sharing my perspectives and just being able to continue to advance this industry. So thank you. Absolutely. Talk soon. We certainly hope that you enjoyed today's episode. So make sure to join our Facebook group, Out Front with Vince Noble. And don't forget to comment, rate, share, and subscribe on the Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to download your podcast. Until next time, remember, you still get to write your own life story.